Welcome to the Reach the Stars podcast, a collection of conversations with cool people who do cool things. Each episode will bring you inspiring stories of persistence, passion, and purpose. With your host, founder of Papercraft Miracles, Jonna Willoughby-Lore. Welcome to the Reach the Stars podcast. I am your host, Jonna Willoughby-Lore, and today my guest is Jason Frizzell. He is an executive coach, facilitator, a brand strategist, and a two-times podcaster. Jason, tell me what all that stuff means. <laughs> it, it, it's all, and none of it matters. Well, let me start with the two-times podcast. Let's start with the easy thing. I'm a two-time podcaster, and then I have two podcasts that are live out there. I have Talking to Cool People. Similar to the format here that we're going to do today is where I talk to cool people. We have conversations, sometimes about business more about life, and it is kind of my favorite thing to do. And then I have a business-focused podcast called Talking to Tech People. I talk to startup founders and other people that are up to big things in tech. I'm a brand strategist at a company called Brand Builders Group. We work with personal brands, people that are podcasters, authors, speakers, consultants, coaches, help them build their personal brand in the world. And then I am an executive coach and facilitator. I do some work at corporations, especially at big tech. I coach individuals on a variety of platforms, and then I do facilitation work at a tech community. So that's what all that stuff means at a very high level. Awesome. See, yeah. that makes so much more sense to somebody like me, where I tend to read kind of like that heady language, and I'm like, Greek to me. What the hell does that like, job cool. even mean? You know? Um, yeah. But yeah, I love the whole idea of like helping people build their personal brand. And it's, it's weird, because when I was in college, I went to school for... Um, entrepreneurial business and creative art integrated together. And I inadvertently, I didn't know anything about branding because this is like a long fucking time ago, but I didn't know anything about that. But I knew that I had this kind of persona that was me that I wanted to put out there in the world. So like my poetry talents, my performing, that kind of thing. But then I also wanted to like make art and sell it as a business. So I ended up inadvertently making two brands. One that was called Reach Reach for the Stars, which is where the name of this podcast came from. Um, And the other one was Papercraft Miracles, which was my business. And it's just weird that I didn't even know that like a personal brand was a thing. I don't even know if anyone knew that a personal brand was a thing in like 2003, 2004. Um, But yeah, looking back on all my college notes, I was like, oh my God, like ahead of my time here, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a thing that I didn't really realize. And I worked for 20 years in corporate. I didn't really realize it was a thing either. And then when I came out and struck it on my own, I said, oh, this actually matters. Mm-hmm. And here we are. Yeah. Oh, man. So I don't normally ask too many questions about business in general, but I'm really curious. So like as far as people who are just starting out who want to have a personal brand they put out there, what are like a couple of your top tips for people who are just, just putting something together? Yeah. Perfect. It's an easy one. And <clears throat> I want to say that this is not rocket science. You probably know this. Everybody knows it. It's not about the knowing. It's about the doing of it. One, who do you want to serve? In other words, who's your brand builders? We call it your core target audience. Other people call it client avatar, your niche. Who do you serve? A lot of personal brands, including myself, like, hey, I can serve everybody. I want to help the world. And then what ends up happening is nobody knows what you do. Because you, we all have different needs. You probably have very different needs of things that you can use support with from somebody than I do. So that's number one is identify your target audience or your ideal. And what we do at Brand Builders, we actually have people name that person. It's like, his name is Jason. He's 44. He has two kids. He lives in blank, blank. 
And then more importantly, usually is the psychographics that go with it. What does what does Jason care about? What does he think about every day? What does he spend his time doing? Those sort of things. And then you start to picture them as you're marketing to Jason in this case, if, if I'm your ideal client, which I am for certain people. That's number one. Number two is narrow down the one word problem that you solve, which is very challenging for people. So it's a one word problem that you solve. So if we were going to use you and we're not, because I don't know a lot about paper craft miracles, but what you're selling there solves a problem for people in some way, shape or form. That's why they, people spend money to solve problems. Right. So, um, figuring out like what that one word problem is. And I can tell you if anybody listening, it's not easy. It takes people six months sometimes because again, they'll go, Oh, but I solve so many things for so many people. Great. You do. We don't argue with that. And we want you to come up with the thing so you can get really focused and directed because what ends up happening is you work with those types of people, you solve that problem, you become known for that, and then you expand out Mm -hmm. and then you get to serve whoever you want. And that takes, you know, it's like the 10 year overnight success. Sometimes that takes 10 years and sometimes it takes three. depends on the work you do. And it's always a work in progress and that information can shift. Uh, the last I'll stay on this, but the other tips is who you think you want to work with when you're just starting out because you asked about when you just start out. You may think you want to work with a certain type of people that you may not want to at all once you start working with them. And the problem that you think you solve, may, your clients might tell you, that's actually not how, why I work with you. That's actually not why I buy your products. I buy it for this reason. So it can shift. It's not a hard stance and it's not a once you land on it, you're one and done either. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if I could narrow mine down into one word. I don't think I could narrow anything about my life down into one word because I am a verbose individual. <laughs> For sure. Anyone who knows me is like, yo, chatty bitch, shut up. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I think it. if I could do two words, I would say that I foster connection. That's what I do. That's great. So not a problem. Yeah. Maybe just connection, connection, but it's... Well, disconnection would be a problem. Yeah. It back, I love it. It's not just connecting people, but like nurturing that. You I know. love that. Yeah, that's great. Um, so now you're saying like, who is, you know, if you were naming your brand, right? Tell us like, who is Jason? <laughs> what does Jason like to do? <laughs> who is Jason? What does Jason like to do? Those are two. One of those is I'm like so easy. Another one, I'm like, who am I? That's like the existential question. Yeah, I think if I was going to describe myself, well, let me start. Let me just start with the easy stuff. Give me time. I'm an external processor as well. So give me time to do. So what do I like to do? I like to build my business. I love to be on podcasts and podcasts. I, re- I just really enjoy it independent of whether it ever generates any business results, which it does, but I just, I just love it. I love to spend time with my kiddos and they're both at the age now where we can do a whole bunch of fun stuff together. I am a guitar player. So I love playing guitar. I'm a obsessed with music i'm a big like not only play music but i love listening to all types of music eclectic music that includes going to live shows i'm a huge concert goer i like to travel although that hasn't really been a big thing in the last two and a half years um (laughs) we did travel as a family to orlando for spring break and came back with covid is which is not shocking to anybody who would you know go to spring break for florida for covid i like to um i'm a big film person i'm a big video game person and I'm a big sports fan. So I'm a big NFL fan. I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan. I'm originally from Minnesota, but my number two team, and I'm not just saying this. Well, my number two team is the Kansas City Chiefs. My number three team is the Buffalo Bills. I grew up a big Bills fan because I hated the Cowboys in the 90s. <laughs> so yes, I always liked the Bills and Jim Kelly and all those. That was like my other team. My AFC team was the Bills. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just a generally, and I also love to like work out. I walk a ton. I like to bike. All those sort of things and enjoy nature. Oh, we also have a golden retriever that I 
love going out and playing in the yard with the best. I'm a huge dog person too. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So who am I? I, people that would know me, the way I phrase this question is like, if you really knew me, you would knew that blank. Um, it's like the thing you can't Google about me. People that know me would say that I am very passionate, driven, energetic. I'm also somebody who's, I genuinely love people. You know, like a lot of people are like, ah, I like like three people and the rest of them I don't like. I genuinely like most people, not all, be very clear. Some people, there are some public figures I really don't like. And then there's also a few people in my private life I don't really like, but I love people. I love connecting. I'm a 100% extrovert on the Myers-Briggs or the 16 personality types, if you've ever taken that, which makes me quite a unicorn that is very rare. Like I am an all energy external from other people, which is awesome until you go into a pandemic. Yeah, right. Oh my God. And then you're on Zoom. I'm really excited. I'm actually for work going, I'll be in a room with 60 some people on this Thursday and Friday, which is the first time in two and a half years. Very exciting. And the thing at the end of the day that I would want people to know about me that I think most people would say about me at my best is I am very committed to having fun. And it used to be that way. So this has been a, this has been a change for me. So anything I do in my business and my life, uh, who I'm married to, the way we spend time with the way I spend time with the kids podcasts, I go on, I want it to be a fun experience. Like that's my thing. And I've actually realized for me specifically, the more fun, the more my business Go, more of my business actually happens. I know that's not the case for everybody. For me, I'm really committed to fun and having fun and laughing. You know, for me, I'm all with joy and fun in life. I don't see the point if you're not enjoy, really enjoying yourself. And I enjoy myself most of the time until until my sports teams play and then I'm not enjoying myself because they, they they haven't won in a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I love when people are just like, here is everything about me and I'm not super guarded at all. Like just have at it. And it's funny because I've done this show with a lot of people. Like I've interviewed, you know, 50 something people at this point. And it's, it's a totally different experience to have a conversation with someone who is really open like that than to somebody who has obviously sat home and kind of rehearsed some answers. And they're like, you ask them something really specific about who they are as a person. They're like, ping, ping, here's some stuff about my company. You know, and they just will not um, be real with people. And it, it makes it really difficult um, yeah. to have conversations that people find accessible. You know, yeah, I mean? I think they, well, as you said that the other thing I would want, you and everybody to know about me is one. I love doing improv. So I love improvising, which is why I had no idea what you're going to ask me on this. I said, Hey, ask away. I'm good. I, I love that. And I love, and this is new for me because I worked in sales. I love actually just getting to be myself in the real world. Cause I didn't feel like I could do that in my corporate career, which is very normal for people that work for companies. You, you have to have this. I think it's better than it was when I was there, but like this thing is I just get to show up and be me and share about me. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not much for a rehearser. Yes. <laughs> so. Uh, the only time I ever really like rehearsing is if I am going to go like perform on stage and stuff like that. And right, in right. general, like the rehearsing part is really, the whole point is to go and perform. Like obviously as a total extrovert, COVID sucked, uh, still sucks. <laughs> My, yes. I play in a band too. Um, and so I'm all about going out and playing music and performing for people and just not being able to do that aside from doing it on zoom, which is not at all the same. It's better than not doing it at all, but it's not at all yeah. the same. Um, just being on a stage and throwing like everything I have out into the crowd and 
then getting it back like tenfold from all the people who are screaming and dancing and stuff like that. Oh man. Like there is, there is nothing better. Like that is the best high on earth. (laughs) I love it. It's the best. I love it so much. Yeah. Well, what, what instrument do you play? What what do you do in your band? I sing rap and play the trumpet. (laughs) Sing rap and play the trumpet. I'm dope too. (laughs) That's awesome. Mm Mm-hmm. I only play guitar. That, that's like all I can do. I can barely play keys, can barely play bass, and I nobody wants to hear me sing. I mean, when I play solo, I do have a bunch of guitar songs that I wrote mostly like as a college student. Yeah. Um, and I do sometimes, very rarely, go and play a show and do that. Um, but I've been performing as my, my alter ego, MC Vendetta, um, since 2003. I was just thinking the other day <laughs> that I'm like approaching 20 years of being a rapper. Um, and it's just funny to like say, um, I was posting something the other day because my band played a show on Sunday. And so I posted a picture of me and my bandmate on the stage, like, hey, we're going to play in like 10 minutes. And I put it out there. And like all of these people who only know me for my business, but I didn't, you know, I'm just used to everybody knowing me as the rapper girl. And they're like, I didn't know you were in a band. I'm like, yo, where you been? Yeah. <laughs> well, how did you, you not know that? Yeah. I was like, it's okay, amazing. well, I guess I need to like go on my Instagram and do a little like five things you probably didn't know about me post or something. Cause yeah. I was like, it's been a long time, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Also, that's a I would not mess with somebody with the name of MC Vendetta. That's a very violent that's a very uh triggers a lot of like literally i don't want to cross this person mm-hmm. it's funny because like it's a totally different persona for me like i step on the stage and it's like putting on a superhero suit like i'm like yeah you know i get very i even talk differently it's weird and i like channel this performer persona from somewhere else and but i i did a show a solo show as vendetta which i only do like a couple of times in the summer um without the band and i told the story the other day of how i became mc vendetta um because i'd been a slam poet for a really long time and i was in college and my dorm burnt to the ground with all my shit in it and the girl whose room was underneath mine where we searched through the ashes for stuff together and found nothing except awesome friendship um because i didn't really know her before we ended up being roommates for our senior year and she played the keyboards and sang. And she's like, Hey, slam poet girl, we should have this white girl hip hop duo where I'll make all the beats and I'll play all the riffs on my keyboard and you should be a rapper. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm a, I'm a slam poet. I'm not a rapper. And she's like, you're a rapper. You just don't know it yet. You just need to pick a rapper name. <laughs> and so we're sitting by the pond at the school. Like we just got an all stone because you know, college, and or every day really um and she's like so pick your rapper name pick your rapper name she's like i'm gonna be dj chemical with a k and i was like okay i will be uh mc vendetta because i thought it was hilarious and we laughed so hard that we couldn't even breathe because it was just like yeah absurd and ridiculous knowing me as like my my real persona um it's very like chill and sweet and like not mean to people like ever and she was like, yeah, you be MC, MC Vendetta. And we thought it was so funny. I totally thought it was just going to be like a joke thing. And we started playing shows in our dorm room. And we would just like open the door and open the windows and turn on our PA and just start playing and see who showed up. Love it. And because my school was cool at the time and we could get away with doing shit like that. Yeah, that sounds awesome. 
And then I graduated, came back here to Buffalo and started going to do all these open mic nights and stuff like that. And I would go to like where the people were playing like Neil Young covers and shit like that. And I would go like acapella and just like tear some shit up about how George Bush was the worst president ever (laughs) and whatnot. Like just rapping like crazy or bring my little DR202 drum machine and like plug it into the PA and be like (laughs) my little beats over it. And I ended up starting to get some shows and I went to the bar to play this show. I'm at the bar, getting my drink. And I overhear these two guys sitting at the bar and they're looking at the flyer for the show. And they're like, Oh, MC Vendetta. I hear that dude is hard. (laughs) And I leaned over to him. I'm like, that dude is so hard. And then I went up and started. They were like, and now up to MC Vendetta. And I come up on the stage and I see those two guys like peeling their jaws up off the floor. I was like, what's up, y'all? And then I opened my mouth and they were oh. like, no, shit, that dude is so hard. That dude is hard. <laughs> awesome. It was really funny. But it's fun. So yeah, 20 years. There it is. That's so cool. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's not a thing I would know how to do. <laughs> it's all practice. I didn't know how to do it before either. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, so now I'm curious, like, when you were a little kid, what, when you were like, someday I'm going to do this, what was that, like, wild, fantastic dream? I had a pro baseball player. When I was little, if I think back to when I was, like, eight, nine, some sort of athletics. I was a big sports kid, played tennis, baseball, hockey, and it's before you know your dreams of becoming a major league baseball player. It's almost not like the statistical improbability, not just your talent alone, but also the amount your parents are willing to invest and the amount of, you know, as a parent, like to, you really got to like, that's a full-time commitment, right? You got to like travel with them and everything. So I think that, and then when I got to be a little bit older, you know, it's funny you asked that. I never, I'm realizing now I never thought about it. I was the person who went off to college and I, had, I got an advertising degree and all I wanted was a piece of paper so I could go work in sales. But I didn't, I, I didn't have any, I, I had aspirations to do something cool in my life, but I was never like, I'm going to be an accountant. I'm going to be a scientist. I'm going to be a baseball player. I'm going to be a, you know, like I'm going to own my own business. I never thought about it because the family that I grew up in, my mother was at home with us until I was 18. And that was great because we had three kids and my dad was a, he was a city manager. So I didn't have entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship was not modeled to me and my family, nor by my grandparents really either. So I didn't, I didn't really have this context that you could go out and create your own thing. It was always, you go to school and then you come in here, just so you know. (laughs) All right, go ahead. Sorry. You're like, what was I talking about? No, I think I was, oh, I was saying it's an interesting question. Nobody's ever asked me that. And I don't think I was really present to anything I wanted to be. Other than I just wanted a college degree and go work and make a bunch of money. Yeah, I remember when I was a little, little kid, I wanted to be a gymnast in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. I was big on that. Um, but I, my mom was broke as hell. So I was like, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> like, I knew enough as a little kid to be like, no. You know, they interview the the gymnasts who are in the Olympics and they're talking about how they like their whole family moved to another state to be closer right. to the training facility. And I'm like, yo, my like, mom's not even I've like been, I've been in gymnast school and camp since I was four years old and I do it eight hours a day. You're like, that is not a poor person's that's not a poor person's sport. No. 
no. Like even if you had a sponsor, no, yeah. <laughs> like you have to have a family that is like willing and able to like uproot everything just for you and all your siblings then probably hate you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. That was not happening for me. And then when my parents were like, well, you should have a more realistic goal to life. I was like, well, I guess I want to be an orthodontist. <laughs> and it's funny because it's like similar reasoning to what you were saying. You're like, I just want to make a bunch of money because I had braces in like sixth, seventh grade and yeah. seventh and eighth grade. And I was like, the orthodontist makes all the money. Like I go in there and then like the tech is the person that actually does all the work. The actual orthodontist comes in, takes two looks at your mouth for like four seconds. And they're the one that gets paid. I was like, that's the job. What? You know, as a kid, I was like, that makes sense. My parents are like, oh, my God, our kid wants to be an orthodontist. What a great achievable goal. And then I went away to college and they're like, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to be a poet and an artist. They're like, ah, fuck. Like two of the two of the generally highest paid things you can be a poet and an artist. Yeah, right. <laughs> it is funny. But then you said, and then I, and then, but but you you made them so happy when you decided to become a rapper because that's the other thing where it's guaranteed to make a lot of money. Right. It's just funny because I was having this discussion with somebody the other day who's a visual artist, and people totally get the concept of like famous actors. People on in movies, people on TV, they get paid shit tons of money for being an artist. You know what I mean? Like people yeah. don't really think of famous people like that as artists, right? And then there's famous musicians, obviously artists, and people are like, yeah, cool, let's give Bruce Springsteen like $1,200 a ticket to go see him. Like, let's do that, right? right? But then any visual artist is like, oh, I'm put my heart and soul into this beautiful thing. And people are like, Psh, you have fun doing what you love. Fuck you. You shouldn't be making any money at all. Right. <laughs> and just like visual art is so different in that way. Like people yeah. just see it as something that's like, oh, I could do that. I could learn how to do that. Bob Ross could teach me how to paint or whatever. Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't fill up theaters with a visual artist like you can with a musician or something. Yeah. And people just like, don't see it the same way. And especially too, cause like I mostly do like, you know, artistic craft. Um, and a lot of people don't see that as like visual art in the same way, even though it, yeah. it's like, you know, sculpture and art at the same time. Yeah. And it's just crazy to pe for people to say like, Oh, I could learn how to do that. So, you know, why do you charge so much? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to make enough money to pay my family and right. I can't do what I do. That's why. Right. You this is 20 years of experience and blood, sweat and tears. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so once you, once you grew up and you had your sales career and whatnot, when did you decide, you know, this is not bringing me all that fun. It's not, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's not as much joy. What was like the, the moment that's kind of flipped the script on that? Yeah, it's when I worked at a startup, <clears throat> a small startup, and I really liked it, but it was very obvious we weren't really going to go anywhere very far. Like we just, we were outpaced in the market. Our biggest competitor gotten acquired. And for me, that moment is when I ended up back inside of a big company because we were acquired. And I told myself 10 years prior that I don't want to work at a big company again. And I just had this yearning and calling that I would, I could do something else. Like I could have done that. I could have found another sales job. I could go find a sales job today, but I, just, I have this calling that I'm meant to do something. It's not something more because I think that those are very valuable careers. It's just that for me, it, there was something more that I was called to do. 
Um, and yeah, I just, I felt it and it was an intuitive thing and I never really paid attention to that before. And I leaned into it and here we are talking about rap, <laughs> rap and, um, crafts and Minnesota Vikings. So <laughs> I just, I just, uh, I just created a post, uh, last week announcing something in my business. And I, I don't know if you're a grateful dead fan at all, but I put in the post, I, in the middle of the post, I said, as Jerry Garcia once said, what a long, strange trip it's been. That's how I feel about my kind of my journey and my career over the last, specifically over the last three and a half years. Yeah. You never true. could have predicted it. Yeah. For real. It's weird. Cause like, I remember being a kid in college and my mom had passed away and then my dorm burned to the ground. And I was like dealing with all this heavy trauma and shit like that and becoming an instant adult and inheriting a house that was falling apart like 800 miles away. And still trying to go to school for this really super specialized major that I had made up. Um, and still saying, like, I'm 20 years old and I still want to be an artist. And I yeah. don't want to be like so many adults that I know who love to do something and can't figure out how to make money doing that. And they never get time to do it. And they wake up every Monday morning like, I got to go to work today. I don't want to go to work, you know? And yeah. I, I didn't know as a little kid exactly what I wanted to do as an adult, but I knew I didn't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I, I can't have that kind of life where so much of your day is just spent dreading what you're doing and, you know, making the time pass till you get to do what you really want to do. Yeah. And no so many people thought I was fucking crazy. Wanted yeah. to start a business. And like you were saying, you didn't have any entrepreneurship models. Um, hmm. my dad's brothers, my uncles, um, they both were entrepreneurs, but I didn't see them all the time. Um, and one did acupuncture and the other one's a photographer and built websites and stuff like this is like back in the nineties was building yeah. websites and stuff. And so they were really the only models that I saw around me of people who had kind of made their own jobs. And it had, I don't, I don't know if it was like, no, anybody ever said it to me, but it was always kind of implied like, yeah, you know, they have their own career, you know, like they made up their own jobs or whatever. They get to do something fun, but that's not a real job, you know? And it, it was just like, I remember once while I was in, in college and uh, I told my aunt what I wanted to, what my major was and what I was working towards. And she's like, yeah, I mean, you don't want to end up like your mom where she loved to do all this creative stuff, but she couldn't figure out how to do anything to make money doing that. You should have like a backup career where you could maybe do like art therapy or, you know, some way you could be creative, but in a way that there's an actual job that has that title. And I was like, nah, like that's, you know, <laughs> that's like the person who really loves to do something and decides to be a teacher because they can't figure out like how to do the thing they really want to do. And they end up being this reluctant teacher who really still doesn't get to do the things they want to do. Right. And somehow has to inspire other people to say, someday you could do the things you want to do, but I can't, you know, like I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And I was yeah. like, you know what? Fuck it. That's important to follow your own path. Yeah. What you're being called to do. It certainly wasn't easy. It's still not easy. No. <laughs> you know, no. every day that, I, you know, have childcare. Anyway, I come down to work because my, I live upstairs, as you can see from my kid who just came down here. Um, but I like, I come down in my office and I'm like, I get to go to work today. Yeah. 
You know, like there's so many people who are like, oh, I have to go to work. And I'm like, no, I get to. And in the middle of the great resignation where like everybody is finally realizing that they don't want to do this shitty jobs and, you know, slave away for wages that don't even help them pay their bills and more people than ever are starting their own businesses and are making money posting on Instagram and YouTube and shit like that, (laughs) doing things that are fun and are basing their lives on fun and enjoyment because they're like, fuck, you know, like global warming and the pandemic and this and that gun violence, whatever, like it could be over tomorrow. So you better enjoy it today. That's right. You know, I'm with you in the middle of all that craziness where everyone is like hating on their jobs. Like I'm so lucky that my staff comes to work every day and they're like, we get to go to work too. Uh, It's so cool. It's so cool. Like that's my favorite part about owning my own company is that, you know, I have people who've said to me, like, this is the first job I ever had in my life where I feel like my boss gives a shit about me as a person. Totally. (laughs) Which is so sad, but you know, like I'm really happy that I get to be that boss. Yeah, I love that. It's really cool. All right. I don't want to run out of time because we could probably talk all day as two extroverts do. <laughs> yeah, I have no doubt about that. So I was going to do the five question time, but I'm wondering if there's anything else that you want to throw out there, any stories you want to tell, any wild things you mm-hmm. want to talk about before we do that. No, I love getting asked questions. I'm really excited about the five questions. Like for an improver, this is perfect. I'm ready for the, I'm. You know what? You're giving me the choice. I'm ready for the five questions. Okay. All right. Should it's I brace myself? Question time, I, like, question time. I brace myself and like put my feet on the ground and like get present and hope that it's not too scary, like a ride. Yeah. Every time I do this, somebody goes, Wow, these are really wild questions. Like I never thought about this or something like that. I um, can't wait. Number one, tell me about an experience that shaped who you are today. Mm-hmm. Like a single moment that after that you're like, damn, not the same anymore. Mm-hmm. I think for me, that moment was, I'm a bit of a storyteller, so, but I'll keep this brief. So one of my best friends, Anne, in college, moved to New York to be an actress. And I had never been to New York, uh, New York City. And I had never been to New York City. And so I came out to visit her in 2004. And she lived in Soho at Houston and Sullivan. And I remember flying in, landing at LaGuardia. This is old LaGuardia. That was a POS, um, much nicer now. And I remember catching the cab and being, I felt like the people in the movies who go to New York city and they're like, what? It's like all these lights and energy as an extrovert. I'm like, this is amazing. And I remember this moment where I got out of the cab and I stepped on the corner and I said, Oh, this is where I need to live. Like I felt it. I was like, I was like, Oh, I'm a New Yorker. And I moved to New York a year later for my job and haven't looked back since. I met my wife in New York. We live in New York. Um, we have all of, most of our friends are in New York. Like that's our life is New, we're New Yorkers. Right. So for me, for sure, like the moment was feeling that and then taking action on it within a year. But that, that was the catalyst, that moment. I'll never forget that moment the rest of my life. It was pretty cool. It was, it was I felt like I was in something like a John Hughes movie or a Nora Ephron movie. It's like, like uh like a little bit more modern Harry Met Sally. There's no woman in the picture, and it was just a friend of mine. So we, I wasn't going to like, you know, see if it was going to work. But just stepping foot in a place and being like, wow, this is it, and where I currently live, and I lived in Minnesota at the time. It's like, oh, that's not for me anymore. That was such a catalyst for, for what my life is today. I can't even I can't even imagine what would have happened if I wouldn't have made that move. 
That's awesome. I definitely think about like, I'm pretty sure every extrovert does this, but like thinks about the what ifs in your life, you know, like you play out these alternative lives that you would have lived if you hadn't had this thing happen or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I definitely think about how my life would be so different if my mom had not died and my dorm hadn't burned to the ground. And like, I had to become this like instant adult and owned a house here and had to deal with, you know, the aftermath of her not having a will and all this shit as like a 20 year old kid. Yeah. Um, so I really like after graduation, I went to school in Asheville, North Carolina, and I like had to come back to Buffalo because I had this house here and my brother and I owned it together. And like, we had to work together to figure out what to do with it. Um, He still lives, he still lives there actually. Um, And if that had not happened, I always think like I would have went to New York or LA or both, you know, like I would have done like that wild shit, but my, my trajectory of my life would have been so different because I came back here and I ended up like pretty easily being able to kind of like make a rapper name for myself and like get in at a bunch of open mics and get some shows and things like that, which would be so much harder to try to do that in New York city. Um, And uh, it just kind of gave me that like really fun catalyst where I kind of got to be the big fish in the small pond because Buffalo's not tiny, but it's small enough where like everybody you meet knows at least two other people that, you know, yeah, but it's yeah. big enough where there's like stuff to do. It's not like a small town in the boonies yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, I definitely, I definitely think about how life would be different in if uh, I had been living in New York. <laughs> yeah. I had dreams about what my tiny, tiny apartment would look like too. Oh, it was well, funny. You mentioned that Anne's apartment was tiny and she had a roommate. It was, I mean, it was like, it was the sort of thing you would see on a television show and you'd like, our apartment's really this small. I'm like, yes, I can attest that apartments really are this small. Yep. Yeah. You're like, this is my bedroom. And you're like, that's a closet. <laughs> yeah. That's a closet. And the living room is smaller than everybody else's bedroom. Yeah. Or the whole apartment is one room, including the kitchen and the bathroom is like a box in the corner. That's exactly what it was like. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine lived there and I went to go visit him in 2006, 2005, something like that. And he had this apartment, right? And it seemed really big until I realized that he lived there with like five people. <laughs> and I was like, oh, how much do you pay per month each? And they each paid like a thousand dollars or some kind of crap. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that sounds exactly right. Yeah. Meanwhile, I was like, oh, I inherited my house back in Buffalo. It's a, a double and uh, I only pay taxes on it. It cost me like $2,500 right. a year to live here. Right. Right. <laughs> It's kind of crazy. Never paid rent in my whole life. Very fortunate. <laughs> in some ways. In some ways. It was it's really hard to be like finding someone to do siding when you're like 20 years old. <laughs> you have no capital. No like, one's going to give you a loan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was in some ways. I dreamed about my friends who like had an apartment and had a landlord to like fix shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah. it'd be really awesome if I could have someone just come and fix shit that I didn't have to pay <laughs> okay before i get distracted number two when you feel defeated or overcome what do you tell yourself to keep going Mm. yeah i tell myself that it's temporary and that then this is something that i've really worked on over the last four years i think any entrepreneur this is the thing you have to get used to is it's not going to be a steady state I tell myself it's temporary. I tell myself that my feelings are valid. So if you would have had me on this podcast four years ago, I would have not been talking like this at all. This is through doing a lot of 
therapy work, coaching work, personal development work, that my feelings are valid, that it's temporary. And I generally try to justify it. And I will call out the justification of it, that it's a learning experience. Now in the moment, does it always, do I always want that learning experience? No, but generally I can find the gold eventually. So I tell myself that there's some reason why, and I, you know, John, I'm, that might be just a coping mechanism to make myself feel better. I'm not like, that's not the magic answer, but that's what I do. And then generally what I, what I will do tangibly is I'll go walk and listen to music. Like that for me is a thing that walking, especially with a dog and just listening to like dead and company or, you know, like a million other artists that I like that generally will get me back. Like, Oh, you know, life's pretty good. Gets me back, brings me back. For sure. For sure. I love when I ask people these questions because when people are listening to the show, you never know like what kind of advice people have gotten or like what, tips they've heard yeah. or which Instagram post they've seen about like Instagram post. Which mean do you which mean do you look at when you're feeling down on yourself? Exactly. And like I just love that the end part of this podcast is always just like all these little nuggets of wisdom from different people who have different walks of life. And almost every yeah. single person has a different answer to all of these sure. questions, which I love. Yeah. And it's just like this wealth of um, inspiration fun. and it makes me really happy. I love that. That's fun. All right. Number three, tell me about a way that you overcame a failure or a mistake and what you learned from it. Yeah. Where to begin? Where to begin? Yes. In I'm trying to think of one that's recent. Yeah. I, one of my jobs, I worked at a startup and it wasn't, I relate to it as a failure in that I looking back in hindsight, I could have done so much more. I didn't ask for enough help. And I came into a role. I was the first person to ever do this job. I worked for the CEO. The CEO is a person doing this job previously. And I always had this Midwestern. I think I still have a lot of this, this Midwestern. I'll figure it out. I'll get it done. I'm smart enough. I'll figure it out thing. And the failure was, I didn't get fired or anything, but it, it wasn't going as well as it could have. And it was just because I wasn't asking for help. And I don't know if you felt this way, but as I've gotten older, I'm just really asking for help is a superpower. How the oh, heck yeah. am I doing all these things? And I, I don't know, like then I was in my thirties then I don't know if it's like an ego thing. Like, Oh no, I should be able to figure it out myself. But how I was able to, able to overcome that is have an honest conversation about how I, how being on, like I have a hard time asking for help. And having a conversation with my boss about like, is it okay? Is it okay for me to like, is me asking for help? Is it reflective on what you think of me? They're like, no, we want you to ask for help. Cause I always thought for some reason that asking for help meant that you weren't good enough. You weren't smart enough. You didn't know how to do the things. And I worked in pretty technical jobs. And so like, to me, it was a failure. It was like, Hey, this is, they didn't say it's not going that well, but like there, it could be going better and, and like having an honest conversation. And now I take the, like, I'm the first person to tell you, I know so little about most things. And I, I really like asking for help now, like you said, with our, with our podcast, whatever it is, there's just always, there's always people with so much other wisdom, advice, ways they see the world that is so useful. And like, so the way I overcame it is like getting rid of the myopic view of the world. Try to, I had a pretty myopic view of the world for quite a while. And sometimes I still do. I still do I still have my strong opinions about things, but just expanding what I see, what I ask about, what I'm curious about has been huge for me. I totally agree. I think it's, it's a lot of, cause we're similar in age. I just turned 40. And I think that our parents' generation was really big on like, 
it, I know it sounds yeah. like, so not PC at this point, but like pull yourself up by your bootstraps, oh, you know, like my God, yeah. everybody could do the same with the same amount of effort, which is total bullshit. Um, yeah. And that asking for help was like a huge sign of weakness. That's right. Um, and I mean, I was, my mom was so much like that and she struggled so fucking hard, so hard. Like she was a single mom. And now that I got diagnosed with ADHD, I look back and I'm like, it was so obvious that she had horrible mm-hmm. ADHD and she was like yeah. brilliant and had all these great ideas, but like just had no follow through and like could not get her shit together and sucked really bad at adulting. <laughs> like growing up in this crazy environment where like she never had enough help. She never had enough money. She never had enough time. I was like, God, you know, if she had only said to her parents, like, I'm really having a hard time here can you give me some money to pay off some debt and right. like help me get a counselor and get, you know, maybe get some medication for being depressed and or whatever. So what's like, I need some help. And, you know, it got to the point where um, I've talked about this a couple of times in the podcast. When I was in fourth grade, our water main broke in the front yard and it froze in the middle of the winter. And my mom had no money, like zero dollars in the savings and like a hundred bucks in the checking account total and still never bothered to ask anybody that she knew to help her. And my brother and I and and my mom lived in our house the entire winter with no water, like no water at all. And like we were not taking baths unless I went to my dad's house on the weekend. We could not do dishes and in order to flush the toilet, we had to go out into the giant gaping hole in the front yard with a milk carton with the top cut off to fish water out of the hole in the ground because that's where the water was. And even in that situation, she wasn't like, hey, can somebody give me a leg up? Because right. She was too proud to say that like she couldn't do it all by herself. And, you know, if there's any generational trauma healing that has gone on in my life, I mean long before I even had kids, I was like, Hey, hive mind, this is my situation. You know, like I'm a 20 year old kid that inherited a house. Um, I need some help. Like yeah. I can't do this by myself. I don't know about hiring contractors. You know, is there somebody who can give me some clout who can come meet with contractors so that I don't get taken advantage of. And yeah. it started from there. And like um, whenever, whenever anybody's always like, what advice can you give to a new person starting a business? I'm like, ask for help. From every single help. person you can think of, yeah. and then take it. <laughs> take yeah, it exactly. When offer it to you. <laughs> you know, Ask for help and then take it. I like exactly, that. Exactly, because a lot of people, you know, I'm sure that there was times in, in my mom's life where people offered her help. I know we got free food from the church and stuff like that. But I think if she had been really, really honest with the people who were around her about what her situation was, that we wouldn't have been in that situation. And yeah. she wasn't. She tried to try to pretend like she could do it all, and you know, now that I'm a mom too, I'm like, there's no fucking way you could do it all. I could barely do half of it. And I have a partner who's with me all the time. And my, all of our parents live nearby and help us. And we can still barely do it, you know? And I'm like, God, I can't imagine having to do any of that shit all by yourself. Like nobody can do it all. Nobody. And anyone who says nobody. they can, like has no. a lot of money to hire people. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, number four. What one trait or habit is most responsible for keeping you on track? Having fun. <laughs> Elaborate. Like, you know, why does having yeah. fun keep you on track? It keeps me. It's 
the filter through which I choose what I do in my business, who I work with, the kind of companies I partner with doesn't mean that every single minute of my day is fun. I'm not toxic positivity over here. Like, Oh my gosh, my life is pure unicorns and rainbows. But when I have an intuitive feeling that this is going to be a fun experience, like going on a podcast, it's going to be a fun podcast. When I align to that, when I take on a new client or I have an opportunity presented to me and I'm like, ah, I'm not feeling it, but I take it anyway. That's generally when I end up not enjoying it. And if I'm not enjoying something, I, as an entrepreneur, I'm like, I'm like, get me the F out of here. Like, I just, I'm not interested. I, it's like an age thing, being a parent, being an entrepreneur, like having my own business. Like, I just want to spend my time having fun. And so for me, it's, it's just that simple, John, like what's the filter? Is this fun? Is going to this movie fun? Is playing, listening to this music fun? And if it is, then I'm loving life. And if I'm not having fun, you don't want to be around me. Exactly. My wife can attest to. Yes. It reminds me of this Ani DeFranco line. She says, if you're not getting happier as you're getting older, then you're fucking up. Right. Totally. I'm, I'm very, very in agreement with Ani on that. Yes. You know, it's, it's wild. Cause you know, you hear a lot of older people who are like, don't get old, don't get old. And I'm like, you know, I'd rather if get I have old, the choice, right. I'd rather be old than like not <laughs> because yeah. if you're not getting old, then you're just dead. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I'm all about that. I'm fine with it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Number five, what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten and what advice would you give to other people? Yeah. The one that's, I don't know if this, the man, I have so many answers for this. But I was recording an episode of my podcast yesterday and I heard this. So it's very fresh in my mind. I just thought this was brilliant. The advice is forget the golden rule of doing to others as you'd have them doing or you or people like you'd like to be treated. Forget that. Practice the platinum rule. Treat others like they want to be treated. Because when we treat people like we want to be treated, that may not be at all what they want from us. But when we, but if I was saying to, Hey, Jonna, let's, we're going to go and do this thing. Hey, what would make this experience meaningful for you? Like get curious about like what you actually want way better. And so the do, you know, like treat others, like you'd like to be treated that should go out the window and you should actually ask people how they want to be treated. And this go, and this, it was in a business context. This person I was talking to, they're all about customer experience, but like, Hey, like what would, what would make this meaningful? What would, how would you like to be talked to? How would you like to be communicated to not, I'm going to communicate to you. Like I want you to communicate to me. Cause that may be a whiff. You and I are extroverts. We had a real introvert on here. They might be like, Oh my God, I'm going to go take a nap now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, that was fun. And I'm exhausted. So yeah. Like, and, and again, I don't know if this is the best advice I've ever gotten, but treat other um, get curious about how other people want to be treated and don't assume that they want the same things you want because this world is so diverse now and there's so many things in personal development and like you said, Instagram and memes and businesses and so many ways people can learn what they actually want. Don't assume and ask. And when you ask, what I found in my life and in my business, when I just ask people, it makes all the difference. Less assumptions, more asking. And people will generally tell you that it's beautiful. So I guess the advice would be don't assume, just ask. That's the advice. I love it. I love it. And it's so applicable to even people who aren't business owners. Cause we, I, mean, I would say, I mean, I guess I never really know exactly who's listening to this podcast. Cause um, you don't know. know, you just see how many people have listened to it and where they might live um, exactly. and what comments they may have given you at some point. Um, 
but I know that for a fact, a lot of the people who do listen to this do not own businesses. Um, but I think that's such a great piece of advice to just put out in all of your relationships. Yeah. Because marriage, parenting, doesn't matter. Just ask. Exactly. Give it, I'll give you a great example. If you have employees, don't assume that what they want is a raise. They probably want a raise, but don't assume that's the only thing they want. Don't assume they just want to have you shout them out. Don't assume they want an extra day off. It's like, Hey, what would be the thing I could give you? That'd be, that would be most meaningful as your boss it might be, Oh, I, I really like to spend more time with you. I'd like to get your mentorship, all these things. And kids, especially like as kids get older, you know, I don't know how old your kids are. Mine are young, six and one. So they don't, they're not, they like all of it. But as kids get older, teenagers usually have a pull toward one thing. They either want to spend time with you. They want you to shower with gifts and they want like all these things, but don't, don't assume just ask. Exactly. Yeah. My kids are seven, four and a half and five months. So oh, yeah. So you got that. You got, you're, you're in the mix of it. Like we are. Yeah. And when you have more than one kid, you truly realize how different people can be even in the same environment. And, you know, the things that help me connect with my oldest are not at all the same things that my middle kid right, right. wants from me. And who knows what the baby wants. She just wants to be on me all the time because I'm squishy and comfortable. <laughs> I have all the milk. Yeah. But, care. She's like, You're my mom. That's good enough for me. Yeah. She's like the sweetest little thing ever. Um, but yeah, my oldest who also has ADHD, he's like, you know, he knows how to push my buttons like nobody's business because he's a lot like me. He's very extroverted and wakes up in the morning is all freaking day. And we're all like, oh, my God, he's so much. And I find myself like thinking that like, wow, he's a lot. But yeah, he's a lot. It's just awesome. You know what I mean? Like and the way that he feels really connected is telling somebody about something that he thinks is interesting. And my middle kid is way more likely to feel connected when you sit down and you say, Hey, what are you working on? Cause he's real right. quiet and kind of like does his own thing. And, and he likes to help out cooking and he likes to, you know, like be, be included in grown up things. Yeah. And my oldest wants you to be included in his things. And they're yeah, totally yeah. different. Even though like yeah. they came from the same parents and the same environment. Um, and uh, it's it's such a parenting is such a wild experience. It is a wild experience. <laughs> it, it really is, especially like growing up the way that I did. Um, my childhood is so different from the way my husband was raised. So like we have this, I don't know, very interesting way of parenting together. Because my parents were married to other people when I was born, and I mostly grew up with my mom as a single mom and my brother and I were home alone a lot and yeah. and had this seriously dysfunctional, traumatic kind of childhood. And, but I spent weekends at either one of my dad's houses where, you know, there was like different people and different relationships and different income levels and different experiences. So I kind of lived three lives, none of which were really normal. And his parents are still married to each other and they have five kids. It's all their kids. Like they had the one house. It was all, you know, like not that there wasn't struggle, but like it was their his childhood was very chill and his mom was at home with them all the time and like that was his life and i was like what even is that not broken shit um so it's it's awesome to be able to like provide a life for my kids that's like his childhood where you know he does they don't they don't recognize that there's struggle yet which is awesome but in other ways i'm like how do they 
you know, use half the container of milk in one bowl of cereal, you know, and I'm like, don't you know what it's like to open the fridge and have no food in there? Oh, you don't, you know? And so like, I'm, I'm constantly like trying to fix that shit. So I don't put it on them, but to tell them stories, like how life would be, could be different for other people. And it's, it's really, it's a tough tough thing to impart on um, the youth of our next generation that, yes, you know, I don't know. I guess my parents were probably thinking about that too. Like, Oh, all the times that I wanted a better life for you and it's better than I thought it would be or whatever. And, you know, I think back on that and I'm like, was it, <laughs> was yeah. it, was it as good as you wanted it to be for me? I hope so. You know? Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, this is really fun. Um, yeah, thank you so much for having me on John. This is a blast. Yeah. A great time. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to have you back again because I'm sure I can find more fun things to talk about. Maybe see oh, some, uh, five can, new questions. You can have me questions all day. I love it. <laughs> um, do you want to tell everybody where they can find you on the interwebs? Yeah, on the interwebs, the old one. Yeah, if anybody wants to connect, uh, you can find me on generally, I direct you to Instagram. It's Jason T. Frizzell. So I used to have a business name in there. And then I said, oh, let me just get my name. And somebody had my name, even though there's nobody else that I'm aware of in the planet with my name, um, Jason T Frizzell. So you throw out the show notes and then there's a link tree in my bio. You can go and see all the stuff I'm up to the podcast. I love to hear from people. You want to hear what I'm up to. You want to, you want to have a conversation like this. If I can make the time, I'd love to, I, I love to connect with people and yeah, I'd love if anybody wants to check out the podcast, my podcast and yeah, let's follow each other on Instagram and let I me mean, know I can be supportive to, to everybody listening. Awesome. Yay. Thanks so much for being on the show. And uh, for everyone who's listening, we will be back the next episode with a new cool person who has cool stories and they're doing cool things out in the world that hopefully will inspire you to follow your dreams. Yay. Awesome. We'll see you next time. Bye. A single interaction has the power to change your life forever. This is a place for the stories of those moments. Stories of pursuing dreams overcoming tragedy and failure, of coming back to life after so much of what feels like dying, of continuing on with only a vision as a map. This is the place where those moments live on. Come sit by the fire, look up at the stars, and be forever changed too. Thank you for being with us on the Reach the Stars podcast. Our theme music is generously provided by Biocratic you can find him on bandcamp.com thank you to all of our current patrons guests and everyone else who helps make this dream a reality we are so proud to be building this amazing community with all of you if you love this podcast please consider sharing with a friend leaving a review on itunes and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash reach the stars don't forget to subscribe to our youtube channel see the videos of these conversations we'll see you next time In the meantime, do something cool and tell us about it.